This is a podcast from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship, a gathering of many nations who are one in Christ. Okay, good afternoon everyone. So glad to have you with us today, worshiping God and having some fellowship together and enjoying the word that he has given us. So let's begin by turning to that word. And we're going to turn today to the book of Joshua. Because I believe that at the beginning of the year, as we stand on the cusp of an unknown 12 months, God wants to address his children, his servants today, to stir up our courage to take full possession of God's promises, to step into the inheritance that Christ has won for us and to seize it with both hands. And Joshua is a very appropriate book for that purpose. So, let's turn to that book, shall we? To Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. Joshua 1, verses 1 to 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. This is the word of the Lord. And shall we bow our heads and pray and ask for God's blessing as his spirit speaks these words to our hearts? Heavenly Father, we come to you. We thank you that you are a speaking God. Help us to be listening children. There are so many other thoughts that crowd in, so many distractions, so many other voices. Silence all voices but your own, O oh Lord. This is your word. We want to receive it with faith. We want to submit to it with wholehearted obedience. We ask that you would feed us, encourage us, and strengthen us like Joshua today. In the name of Jesus, your son, we pray. Amen. So Joshua, uh, the sixth book of the Old Testament, tells the story of the conquest of the promised land. And that was a land that had been promised really hundreds of years earlier. God had promised to Abraham and to his son Isaac and to his grandson Jacob that God was going to make their descendants, Israel, into a great nation. And he was going to give them a special land, a land chosen by God for his people. While there had been a long detour in the patriarchs receiving those promises, they died in faith, never having possessed the land around which they wandered. And their descendants, the people of Israel, went down into Egypt. They became slaves and they toiled in oppression for 400 years. And finally, God heard their cries and he sent a rescuer, a deliverer, a man, Moses, that he had 
summoned to liberate his people from Egypt. And on one marvelous night, the night of the first Passover, there was the great event of the Exodus, the Exodus from the land of Egypt. And Moses had led the people to the banks of the Red Sea. He had raised a staff. God had opened the waters. They'd parted through on dry land. The pursuing uh, army of Pharaoh was drowned, and the Israelites marched into the wilderness. They went up to Mount Sinai. Moses ascended the mountain. He saw God face to face. He received the law. And then they marched briskly through that wilderness right onto the very borders of the promised land at the River Jordan. Moses sent in 12 spies, one from each tribe of Israel. And the spies returned on the one hand bearing you know, these massive uh, burdens of grapes. It was a land of plenty, they all, they all agreed, but there were giants in the land, very tall people, taller than the Israelites. And ten of the spies trembled in fear and unbelief. And they said, there's no way we can go in. We're going to be destroyed. Two and two only of the spies acknowledged that, yes, there are these very mighty, fearful people, but God is with us and God is going before us. And therefore, Israel, let's not lose heart. Let's not lose faith. Let's march in trusting that God is going to give us the land. And those two spies were Joshua and Caleb. And if only the people of Israel had listened to those two faithful, believing spies instead of the ten fearful and unbelieving ones. But they didn't. They panicked. They refused on the very border of the promised land to enter in to receive what God had given them. And therefore God said, you know what? I'm so tired of you guys. You're going to spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness until this whole generation, this whole unbelieving generation I brought out of Egypt has died so their children can inherit. And even Moses, because of his own disobedience, was not permitted to enter the promised land. And the book of Deuteronomy, right before the book of Joshua, ends with the death of Moses. I mean, Moses was a gigantic figure in the Old Testament. No human figure stood taller than Moses. He is a central human figure, at least, of the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. This was a man who was a friend of God and saw him face to face. And now, as Joshua begins, Moses is dead. This great leader, this shepherd of Israel, lies buried in the hills. No one even knows where his grave is. And back at the camp, the mantle of leadership, the very, very heavy mantle of leadership, has fallen to Moses' assistant, Joshua. Now, leadership transitions are always precarious. Pastoral leadership, political leadership, business leadership. And here is Joshua with a mob of discontented rabble, hundreds of thousands of difficult, complaining people. And there is... A situation of potential disaster here. Will everything fall apart? Can this people rise to a new challenge without the great man of God, Moses, standing there in front of them, leading and inspiring them? God plans to move forward. He's not hanging back. The plan of God is always moving forward. And Joshua has to learn in this difficult moment, that no one is indispensable to God's plans, not even someone as great as Moses. 
And Moses, God honors Moses in these verses as his servant, but God's not sentimental. God doesn't freeze and get panicked at leadership transitions, and neither should we, because though Moses may be gone, the God of Moses is still with us. Now, I'm sure Joshua wished for some time to collect himself, to get comfortable in the saddle, to let the people get used to him and his way of doing things. But read verse 2 again. God says to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them. Moses is dead. Let's get moving. Now, Joshua is a great leader. God says in Deuteronomy that he had given Joshua the spirit of leadership. Joshua is a rough and ready soldier, a practical man, but as Joshua knows, and as the people know, he's no Moses. And it's difficult to follow in the footsteps of such a great man. And simply conserving and maintaining and protecting the legacy of Moses would have been the work of a lifetime for Joshua. But God doesn't call Joshua to do that. God summons Joshua to lean forward in faith, to step into something beyond what Moses himself was called to do. Derek Tidball has a very interesting book on leadership lessons from the book of Joshua. And he says this, If Joshua had kept the children of Israel wandering around the desert of Sinai out of a false loyalty to Moses' memory, he would have betrayed the commission God had given him and failed the people. The people of God are not meant to be looking nostalgically back into the past over their shoulders, lamenting, why were the old days better than these? We serve a God who is sovereign, who is at work in the world, who is doing something. He's on mission, and therefore God's people are called not to hang back in fear, but to lean forward, hopefully, confidently, into the future, because the future belongs to God. And that is what Joshua is called to do. Now, we shouldn't assume any of this would be easy. Joshua has a heavy burden laid on his shoulders by God. The very first task God calls him to is to lead the people across the Jordan River. At this time, the river is in full flood. It's too deep, too dangerous to wade through, especially with small children. There's no bridges across the river, no ferries waiting to take them across. Somehow, they're going to have to figure out a way to get across this river, knowing that on the opposite bank waiting for them, there are hostile forces. Then, after this crossing, however it's going to happen, Joshua is told to lead the people in taking possession of the land. Not an empty a land with... Uh, Towns and cities and farms politely abandoned by the Canaanites. They weren't going to politely step aside. This meant grueling combat, besieging city after city. Cities with thick walls and high fortifications, defended by heavily armed people, determined to defend their homes to the death. Well, if what lay ahead was discouraging, think about what was following behind Joshua. A numerous people, to be sure, a very large nation of Israel, but men, women, children, animals, baggage, this was not a mighty host of hardened, 
veterans of soldiers. Israel's no military superpower. They have no special weapons. They possess no horses or chariots. In fact, they're not only weak, they're an extremely difficult people. People who are no fun to lead. Bickering, complaining, grumbling, groaning, quick to lose heart at the smallest obstacle, to accuse their leaders and demand to be taken back to slavery in Egypt right this instant. You know, leading Israel, as Moses knew, was more of a burden than a privilege. And standing in front of the 12 tribes must have seemed like a thankless position, the worst job in the world. But God's people, however weak, however faithless, however undeserving, they still need leaders. And God calls and he qualifies and he summons men like Joshua to serve him by stepping into these roles. Roles that we would never volunteer for in the flesh because they don't offer anything to our sinful nature. It's about sacrifice. It's about faithfulness. It's about laying your own life down out of love for the people of God. Now, Joshua's life to this point proved that he was no coward. Joshua had fought in battle after battle, even in the wilderness. And really, Israel would have crossed into the promised land 40 years earlier, a full generation earlier, if only everyone had the courage and the faith that Joshua and his friend Caleb possessed. So, we shouldn't assume by the fact that God continually exhorts Joshua, be strong and courageous. God wasn't doing that because Joshua was naturally a timid, shrinking little violet. It's because the immensity of the task was so great that even a strong heart like Joshua's might tremble in fear. So, the book of Joshua begins with a great task, and it begins with the word of God, a speech from God to this new leader. Because what Joshua needs most of all, as he begins to lead the people, is a word from the Lord. The task is too heavy for Joshua to rely on his own giftings, his own intelligence, his own intuition. Joshua needs, he desperately needs, the conviction that can only come from having clearly heard the voice of God. And the instruction, the encouragement, the exhortation that God speaks really set the stage for the whole book. I want to dwell today on this threefold exhortation in our passage for Joshua to be strong and courageous in verses 6 and 7 and 9. Be strong and courageous three times, and each of those times it's linked to yet another powerful reason to stir up Joshua's faith and courage and to stir up our own faith and courage as we follow God into this new year. Here's the first reason. It comes from verse 6, where God says to Joshua, Be strong and courageous, and now here's the reason, For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. The first reason to be strong and courageous is the promise of God. The promise of God. Because you know what? God never calls us to great tasks without assuring us with great promises. And what drives the whole conquest is not Joshua's 
charisma or determination. What drives the conquest is God's determination to keep his own promises. Centuries earlier, as you can read about in the book of Genesis, God had sworn to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He'd cut a covenant with them that he would make them a great nation and that he would give them the land of Canaan. And these men and their wives, they all died in faith, not having seen the fulfillment of God's promise, but trusting that one day their descendants would. Israel had waited. They had waited a long time. God was not going to allow himself to be spoken of as the kind of God who makes cheap promises, who talks a big talk, but never follows through. God wants to demonstrate to the world, to the nations, not just Israel, that he is a promise-keeping God. And now, at long last, it's time for Israel to receive what God had signed over to them. You know, I'm sure there were times when Joshua grew tired and discouraged. There were setbacks in the coming years that he would have to face. He was human after all. He wasn't always, you know, filled with joy and complete 100% faith. But in those times when he would be tempted to discouragement, Joshua could reflect, he could bring to mind and feed on the promises of God. He could draw strength and courage from what God had sworn to do. Because this was not Joshua's own project. It wasn't Moses' pet project. This is God's pet project. And when God promises, and when he promises, I will give my people victorious rest, you can bank on that. It is as good as done. And if God has promised his servant Joshua, I'm going to give you every place where you set your foot, then Joshua would be sure to march up and down every inch of the promised land planting his flag throughout the boundaries of Canaan. And if God promised that no one would be able to stand against Joshua all the days of his life, wow, what a promise, then Joshua would be sure to lead Israel into battle again and again and again, right up until the ripe old age of 110 when he died, to claim all of the victory that God had promised. The promise of God is... A mighty reason for us to be strong and courageous as we step into what God has called us to do. But there's another reason. Verse 7, God says to Joshua, Be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Joshua was not left to his own judgment. He wasn't left to make things up as he went along. And I'm sure that Joshua was relieved not to be left to his own judgment. God had given Israel clear instructions. And Joshua had it in his hands. The book of Deuteronomy, the book of the law, that he had seen Moses write with his own hands. And any time... That Joshua felt in doubt, he could turn to that book, he could open the scroll and consult the will of God. You know, there is a text that is often misquoted and abused and torn out of context from the book of Proverbs. And it's misquoted as, without vision, the people perish. And that has been misused as 
uh, reason to, you know, use, uh, you know, business techniques and have five-year plans and 10-year plans. And it's essential for leaders to have the imagination to picture a better future for those that are following them. But that's a mistranslation of that text in Proverbs. It does not say, without vision, the people perish. It says, without revelation, the people perish. What the people of God need from their leaders is not a genius and cleverness and a brilliant imagination. The people of God need leaders who are willing to listen to what God says, to listen and obey. Those are the kinds of leaders the Church of God desperately needs in every generation. And what a comfort it is as a leader and as those who are following to know in a difficult situation where we're surrounded by enemies and there seems to be no way out. No, wait a second. We are in the center of God's will. We didn't get ourselves into this predicament because we were disobeying God. We're here because we were obeying God. And therefore, we can trust that God is going to come to the rescue to those who have been faithful to him. To know that we haven't swerved to the right or to the left. We haven't plowed off the road into the ditch. We have marched faithfully along in the path that the word of God has marked out for us. You know, the lesson of Deuteronomy and Joshua and so much of the Old Testament is that victory and success, real victory and success, the kind that lasts, not worldly victory and success, Victory and success is always tied to our faithfulness to the word of God. And those who keep the word of God close to their hearts, like Joshua was commanded, people who meditate on the law of God day and night, like Psalm 1 says, these kind of people will be like a tree planted by streams of living water. And if this is us, we will prosper and we will be successful in every way that ultimately matters. And we can step forward this year strong and courageous, knowing that we are exactly where God wants us to be, because we're where God has told us to be, and we're doing what God has commanded us to do. God's promises, God's precepts, and here's the third reason to be strong and courageous, God's presence. Turn to verse 9, the last verse of our little passage. God says to Joshua, Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And it is wonderful to have God's promise. It's comforting to know we've obeyed God's precepts. But best of all, what a gift to enjoy God's presence. Just as I was with Moses, God tells his new servant, so I will be with you. You know, the secret of Moses' power wasn't his incredible intelligence or leadership gifting. It wasn't the wooden staff he had in his hand. The secret of Moses' power, of course, was that God was with him. That's the only reason uh, Israel could cross the Red Sea. It's the only reason they could be fed with manna in the wilderness. The only way they could fight off the Amalekites. God was with them. When they were confused during the day, they could look ahead and see the cloud of smoke leading them through the wilderness. And when they were frightened at night, they could open their tent and see the pillar of fire surrounding the camp. God was always with his people day and night. And when the people of Israel rebel against God in the worst way yet, he threatens to leave them 
to their own devices. And Moses intercedes and he pleads with God on behalf of the people. And he says, Lord, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Without God, there's only death and defeat waiting for us. Because the people of Israel and the people of God today were far too weak for the forces of evil arrayed against us. But here God promises Joshua in words quoted multiple times in the New Testament, I will never leave you or forsake you. God says, I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to leave you in the lurch. You're not going to wake up one morning and I've pulled up stakes and left you forever. I'm sticking close with you through this whole difficult project. And therefore, whatever seemingly humanly impossibly hard thing I call you to, you need to know that you're never going to be left to tackle it on your own. And if only we had the eyes to see, the eyes of faith, we would discern that God is always close by to comfort his children, to strengthen them, to help us to do what we're called to do. Joshua, it's true, was a great leader of Israel. And for as long as Joshua remained alive, Israel flourished. Joshua brought them victory after victory, and one by one, the twelve tribes entered into their inheritance. And they could do that because of the leader, the strong, faithful, courageous, obedient leader who was in front of them. At the end of Joshua, we find God's people in God's place, just as it was meant to be. And how we wish we could say, and they lived happily ever after. But there's a lot more of the New Testament to get through because Joshua died. He lived to 110, but then inevitably Joshua died. And then everything falls apart. There's a new generation that arises. They don't know Joshua. They don't know the God of Joshua or the mighty works that he's done. And everything falls apart. Every man does what is right in his own eyes. Israel no longer trusts in God's promises. They're no longer diligently obeying his precepts or longing for his presence. And as a result, after repeated calls from the prophet to repent and to return to their God, in the end, they're judged and they forfeit their claim to God's land and they're sent out of the land into exile. The conquest in reverse. And they cross the Jordan River, leaving the promised land into the home of their oppressors. And even when Israel returns under Ezra and Nehemiah. They're coming back to a country that's no longer their own. It's possessed and occupied by foreigners, the Persians and then the Greeks and then the Romans. They never really do possess the land the way that God had promised. And therefore, God sends a second Joshua. The Greek name for Joshua is Jesus. God sends Jesus Christ to bring God's people into their inheritance once and for all to give them victorious rest that Joshua could only give in part for a short time. The promised land, after all, was only ever a pilot project. God's goal was much bigger than this little strip on the eastern shore of the Mediterranean. His plan was for the whole earth to become paradise regained. You know, the Psalms speak of the meek inheriting the land. But Jesus came to announce that the meek, those who trust God, 
would inherit the whole earth, not just the land, the whole earth. And the people of God would grow from the ten, the twelve tribes, the little nation of Israel, to include all the nations of this earth. And Jesus, who is the true, the greater Joshua, is the one who leads us in victory over the spiritual forces of wickedness. Our ultimate destiny is to be God's people in God's place. Every one of us dwelling in safety and abundance under our own vine and our own fig tree in God's new creation. That's the ultimate destiny. But we can't get there on our own. In fact, just like the Israelites, all of us listening today and speaking today, we have faithless, unbelieving hearts, always ready to return to slavery in Egypt at the first discouragement. But God has raised up a leader, a captain, a mighty hero to bring us in despite ourselves. You know, Joshua was not able to give the people enduring rest in the land. Hebrews chapter 4 touches on this briefly when that author says, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. In other words, permanent enduring rest is something only Jesus can bring. Hebrews goes on to say, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So here's the application. Let us strive to enter that rest. And some Christians would say the very word striving is bad. It sounds like salvation by works, but it's not. God summons us to striving, to faith-filled striving. That's a response to God's grace. When God gives grace, we respond with the kind of faith that seizes hold of God's promises, empowered by the undeserved gift that God has given. We see grace all over the book of Joshua because the people were given, simply given a land that God had promised. They did not deserve it, clearly, but God wanted to give it to them anyways just because he's that kind of abundant, overflowing, generous, gracious God. There's land that I'm going to give you, God says to Joshua and the Israelites, but you must possess it. I'm going to open the Jordan, but you must walk through. I promise to bring down the walls of Jericho, but you must march around and blow trumpets. And I will cause the sun to stand still in the sky, but you need to fight the enemies. The gift of God must always be received, must be seized with the hand of faith. And our greatest fear, Hebrew says, and this should be a holy fear in our hearts, is that we should fail to enter in to God's inheritance through our own disobedience and unbelief. Because we're no better at heart than the Israelites were, truly. So, we're called to strive and toil and struggle to fight the battles we need to fight, but with the assurance that we already have victory in Jesus, our Joshua. I have told you these things, Jesus tells his disciples before he leaves, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, be strong and very courageous. I have overcome the world. 
God's plan is moving forward in 2021. All over the world, the plan of God is moving forward. Are we moving forward? That's the question for us today. Because every year in our lives is either an advance or a retreat. A pressing forward or a sliding back. What is our resolve by the grace of God for 2021? Well, Joshua offers three very practical lessons in this chapter. These uh, words of God to Joshua, also God's word to us today. Number one, this year resolve to get a firmer grip on God's promises. Our resolutions must be based on what God has said. So let's resolve together that we would take the time this year to really listen, to absorb the promises of God, and to tighten our hands around those promises, to claim them by faith in prayer, to get them deep into our souls, to trust God's promise to forgive our sins, to adopt us as his children, to welcome us into his presence, his promise to make us holy, to send us on mission, to give us a share in the new creation. And those promises of God should fill our hearts with joy and make us strong and eager to go on mission with the Holy Spirit. Number two, let's resolve this year to cultivate a more diligent obedience to God's word. Perhaps you've become a little slack this last year. Your conscience has become a little duller. You've drifted from that initial diligent obedience to God that you once had. It's time this January to repent and to return to God with a, a spirit-filled, grace-fueled determination simply to do what God says. It's not that complicated, simply to do what God says. We need to spend time, as Joshua is called to, to spend time in the word of God. Not just clocking hours, but listening with open ears and an open heart, saying, God, your servants, your children are listening. Tell us what to do, and by your grace, we will do what you command. A final resolution. Number three, to seek a deeper awareness of God's presence. Wouldn't it be wonderful if this year, 2021, this year of our Lord, was marked by a continuous sense that our Heavenly Father was surrounding us, that we were never alone, that we could and that we did often lift our hearts to sense the nearness of the holy, glorious, loving presence of God. You know, I'm sure, I have no doubt that such resolutions would be fully in accord with the will of God for our lives fully in accord for what the Spirit of God desires for us. So, let's bow our heads and pray and ask that God would make it so, shall we? Heavenly Father, we do not want to be like those who fail to enter into your promise because of disobedience and unbelief. And yet we confess to you that there are all sorts of things within our own hearts that would pull us away from what you've promised to us. O oh Lord, may what determines the course of our life this year not be our own sin, but your grace. We pray that you would open our eyes to the glory of your promises and help us to hold on to them with great joy and great determination. Help us to obey you, Lord, not out of the slavery of fear, but out of the joyful assurance of being sons and daughters who are loved by you, who know that Obeying your commands by the Spirit is perfect freedom. 
And Lord, we want to know that you are with us. Assure us with your presence. Open our eyes by your spirit to see you encamped all around your people. Keeping us safe. Assuring us of the love that you have for us. Leading us forward and onward into the great inheritance that you have given us through Christ Jesus. Lord, it is in his name that we pray, our great Joshua, the great captain of the Lord's army. Our faith is in him, O Lord. And we pray that you would look at him just as we are looking at him, O Lord. And for his sake, lead us into the inheritance that he has won for us. In his precious name we pray. Amen. This podcast was from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship. Learn more about us online at ticf-georgia.org. Thanks for listening.